Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Doing all right? All right. I assume all the men used to sit right here. That's, that's, that's at least what I'm going to tell myself for today. <laughs> um, I like to make just really two quick, just, can I just make two quick shout-outs really fast? Uh, I like to give a quick shout-out for everybody who's watching online right now, for all of our people who are on our Facebook live stream, and for all of the people who are on our YouTube channel who are watching right now. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being with us today. We hope that you were blessed and that you will be blessed by this service. And the second shout out that I want to give is to that section that's not here right now, to all the men. Let's give a shout out to the men right now who are at the retreat. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for them. Amen. All right. I know for a fact that they're having a great time, that they had a great time, that they are still having a great time, and that when they return, they are going to be on fire and filled with the Holy Spirit and ready to get down to business. And speaking of business, are you ready to get down to business today in God's house? Are you ready? Elliot's ready. Is there anybody else in this house who is ready to get down to business in God's house today? All right. I like that. I appreciate that. Well, today we are introducing a brand new series that Pastor Carlos is talking about. We're going to be in this series for the next couple of weeks. It's an awesome series. It's an amazing series. And I just want you guys, if you don't know the title for it, it's on the pamphlet right now. The title is called Declaring War. I love that. Declaring war. It has so much power, so much oomph to it. Touch your neighbor to the side. Say, today we're declaring war. Touch him to the left. Say, we're declaring war today. All right. Touch your neighbor to the right. Tell him, today we're declaring war. All right. Oh, I like that. There's a lot of, a lot of, Vince, I like that. You even reached to the back of you. Okay, that's great. All right. That's good. You're the man. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my military background. Maybe it's just the way that God has wired me up. But for some odd reason, whenever I hear the words war or that a country is declaring war, my ears tend to pucker up a little bit. I tend to pay more attention to the broadcast because, believe it or not, no matter how close war is to home or how far war may be, the reality is that it, it impacts everyone. It impacts everyone. It has the potential, no matter how close or how far, to actually change lives. It does. It really does. And this series, Declaring War, like you guys just said right now, we're declaring war, we're declaring war. Throughout the next few weeks, it will also have the potential, an immense potential, to change your life. There are certain things that we're going to cover, certain things that we're going to speak about. Ooh. That, thank you, Alex, certain <laughs> things that we're going to speak about, that if you apply them to your lives and you really pay attention, if you pucker up a little bit more than you're used to, it'll change something for you, and it'll change it for the better. Now, with that being said, I have some news for you guys. I'm not sure if you know it. This is something very interesting. I picked it up ever since I started becoming a follower of Jesus and ever since I started being discipled by him. And uh, it's crazy because it, it also applies to you as well. And this is the interesting thing, right? Whether you're a believer in Jesus or you're not a believer in Jesus, whether you've been following him for 15 plus years or you just found out about him today, whether you've been attending these, this church for as long as it's been active or you just walked in through those doors this morning, the reality is this. You're in a battle. You are in a battle. You may not realize it. You may not know it. But the reality is that you are in a battle. And the battle is not over the country. The battle is not over the government. The battle is not over politics. No, it goes much deeper than that. It's much more important than that because the battle is over you. It's over you. It's over me. It's over your family. It's over everyone you know. It's over everyone. The battle is over you. Last week, I'm not sure for those who were here, Pastor Carlos mentioned something that I just want to touch on for a really quick second. He said, he brought up the book of John, and he brought up, he brought up what the enemy's purpose is. And he said that the enemy's purpose is three things. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What I find so interesting about that verse and that passage is that that's the only thing he comes here to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. And the things that he's looking to do that to is not a what, 
It's a who. And that who is you. In the book of Peter, he mentions this, and I think this is even more important. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And I love how Peter mentions that your enemy is the devil. The enemy is not your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. The enemy isn't your friends. The enemy is, isn't us. Your enemy is the devil. And he's not looking for a something. He's looking for a someone. And that someone is you. And when he's looking for someone, he's completely impartial. He's completely unbiased. Because if you believe in Jesus, guess what? He's prowling around looking for you. And if you don't believe in Jesus, guess what? He's still prowling around looking for you. The only difference between someone who believes in Jesus and someone who doesn't is that the ones that don't believe can't recognize the devil when he is trying to attack you. And when I start thinking about this, something so interesting comes to my mind because throughout my studies, this is something that I realized, something that I think we as believers, we fail to realize. Or if you're here for the first time and you don't really know who Jesus is, this may be something that you don't know. But guess what? The enemy knows this. And I want to share it with you right now. Jesus has already won the victory. He's already won it. He's already won it. The Bible says it. The Bible declares it. The Bible shows us the details of how Jesus won the complete and total utter, utter victory. But for some odd reason, we fail to realize this. Let me give you an example of why. I don't know what it is about the month of October. Maybe Halloween. But some people tend to believe or tend to think that just because it's Halloween or it's October, that Jesus' power and his authority lessens. That it lessens. That he's not who he says he is. That he's not as powerful as he says he is because it's Halloween. It's the devil's month. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for your sins, past, present, and future, right? He did. Right? And then to top it all off, three days later, he rose from the grave, he resurrected, and he had the powers of life and death over everything. He had the complete and total utter victory. It doesn't matter if it's Halloween. It doesn't matter if it's Columbus Day. It doesn't matter if it's President's Day. It doesn't matter if it's your birthday. Pick a day, any day, week, month, year. It doesn't matter. Jesus is sovereign. He's still on his throne. He still has all the power. He still has all the might. He still has all the majesty and authority because he won. And the enemy knows that. He knows that he's already lost. He knows that he's already lost. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Just like in war, when one side has the complete and total utter victory and the other side has the loss, the losing side tends to have these small little groups that tend to pop up out of nowhere. These small little militia groups, if you want to speak. In military terms, they're called resistance groups. And they have a few goals in mind. One is this, to continue the fight even though they know they lost. To continue the fight even though they know they lost. And their second goal is to take down as many people with them as they possibly can before they're completely eradicated and eliminated. That's their goal. And what's true in the physical is also true in the spiritual. Jesus has already the complete and total other victory. That's true. There's no denying that. And the enemy knows that he lost. But he still tends to send out small little resistance groups in our lives to try to take us down to try to make us fall. He wants you to act and react in ways that distance you from your relationship with Jesus. And just let me give you a couple of examples of how those reactions may come about. Those reactions can come about in an unforeseen illness. The enemy can send his small little militia group after you in the form of a small illness. 
He can send it after you in the form of an unexpected breakup. He can send it after you in the form of a job loss or even worse, a job promotion that you just got denied for. He can send it after you in the form of tension in your marriage where there's constant bickering and fighting. And then if he wants to take it up a notch, he can send it after you in the form of divorce papers. He can send it after you through text messages that can ruin your day. He can send it after your children to make them estranged and not want any relationship except for the one that they have on their phone. He can send it after you in surprise expenses that show up out of nowhere. He can send it after you in a parking ticket that's on your car when you were only in the store for about three minutes. What's up with that? He can send it after you in so many ways. Because if your reaction to that is contrary to how the Lord wants you to react, guess what? Now he has you. If he can get you to feel guilty, if he can get you to feel depressed, if he can get you to be angry, if he can get you to be sad, if he can get you isolated and away from all other relationships, including your relationship with God, guess what? He has you. I told you before, you're in a battle. You are in a battle. And the battle is over you. And when you're in a battle, there are certain things that you need. There are certain things that you need when you're in a battle. You need a weapon, you need a plan, and you need some armor. You need some armor. And my topic for today in declaring war is using your armor. Using your armor. For those who don't know, I'm a firefighter. In Union City, I wish I was one in Elizabeth, but they weren't hiring at the time. So that's another story for another day. But I'm a firefighter, and I love doing that. It's amazing. It's, it's a great job. It's an awesome job. It's, it's, it's one of those things where I pinch myself in the morning, and I thank Jesus every day that I have it because it's, it's a great job. And a few weeks ago, before this weather turned upside down, how many of you are kind of sad about the weather that's not hot anymore? I am. I don't know. Yeah, look, look, all the hands that go up, of course. Well, guess what? You live in Jersey. It happens all the time. Anyways, right? So... Right, my department. What they wanted to do because of the nice weather, they wanted us to go training outside. Right, normally we train inside, but this time they wanted us to train outside. You know, look good for the public and all that good stuff. Right, so we went outside. It, it, my house, my firehouse, consists of about me and three other firemen. One of them is a captain. Right, that captain is about the size of Pastor Carlos. He's he's huge, and all the other ones are like little minions. They're like little small Hispanics. Right? It's the truth. I'm not, can't lie. Oh, yes, that's exactly what I mean. All right? So, (laughs) he's not going to have me up here for a while. Uh, Right? So, so my fire department consists of about me and three other firemen. One of them is as tall as Pastor Carlos, right? So we're outside and we're training. We're training for about three hours, hard, rigorous training. For all of you who think that firefighters sleep all day, we don't. We train. Right, Peter? Okay, he's not here. He's probably sleeping, right? So apart from that, right, so as, after the training is done, we're hanging out, we're chilling, and then we get a call. A call comes over the radio that there's a smoke condition inside of a house. Now, when firefighters hear that, we go to work, right? So we all ran to the back of the fire truck where all of our gear was at because when we left for training, we grabbed it and we tossed it in there and it was a whole big mishmash, right? So we grabbed our gear, we got ready, and we bolted out of there. When we arrived on the street, there really was no smoke or anything like that, but we hopped out of the fire truck and as we hopped out on the other side, I can hear my captain, who's about the size of Pastor Carlos, oh my God, Eddie, there's something wrong right now. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, you gotta get over here, there's something wrong. I can't move. And I'm like, what? What's going on? So I turn around on the other side of the fire truck, and I see him, and he's walking around like this. And I'm like, ooh, I automatically knew what happened. He had put on, accidentally, somebody else's gear. Imagine Pastor Carlos wearing my clothes right now. Like, don't imagine. <laughs> right? But that's how he looked. He looked like, and he couldn't move. Now, let me, th- let me just tell you something really fast. When you're firefighting and you're trying to fight a fire, if you can't move, you're in trouble. 
If your gear doesn't fit you right, you're in trouble. It has to fit a certain way. And when you get hired by the fire department, they send you out to like a specialist, and this person measures you specifically because your gear has to fit you. It has to fit you. Not someone else. It has to fit you. They don't want you looking like this. Come here. Look at this. Look, look how handsome this boy looks. Look at that. Wait, where are you going? You got to stay here. No. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Bevel. All right, you can go. <laughs> they don't want you looking like that. There's something wrong with that. As handsome as he looked. I was telling him you can go. <laughs> he was like, Daddy, can I stay? No, you got to go. Right? The gear has to fit you a certain way. If you end up putting on someone else's gear, it can end up hindering you and restricting you when you're trying to fight a fire. And now that's something that, and now something that is supposed to help you is now putting you in danger. Because if it's too loose, you can get caught up. And if it's too tight, you won't be able to move. You won't be able to move. Your name is on the back of the gear because guess what? This belongs to you. It says Feliciano on it. That's my last name, in case you didn't know that. It has your name on it because this is what you're supposed to be wearing. You're not supposed to be wearing the name of somebody else. You're not supposed to be wearing the gear of somebody else. You're not supposed to be wearing the armor of somebody else. You're supposed to be wearing the one that was especially tailor-made for you. But I have seen so many people throughout my walk with Jesus. I have seen so many people, believers and unbelievers alike, I have seen them wearing somebody else's gear, somebody else's armor. I have seen it happen way too often. And they're putting themselves in danger. And when we are trying to be like somebody else, and when we are trying to do things that we shouldn't be doing or being in places that we shouldn't be at, Believe it or not, we are putting ourselves in danger because we are wearing somebody else's armor. When there is someone at work, if this has ever happened to you, when there is someone at work whose personality you really like because everybody gets along with them and they laugh at all their jokes and you try to copy that, you're putting on somebody else's armor. When, or when you try to be like the people that you see on TV, the Kardashians, the Jersey Shoreians, the Bachelorettes, the Dancing with the Stars, the rappers, the famous news announcers, your favorite sports person. When you're trying to be like them, you are putting on someone else's armor. When you try to imitate and mimic the people that you find on social media, whether it's on Facebook or on Instagram, whatever the case is, whatever social media platform, YouTube, that you find, and you're trying to imitate that or mimic that, guess what? You are putting on someone else's armor. And whenever you are trying to be like someone else rather than who God created you to be, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation. And the enemy, you're the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, will love that. He would love for you to try to be like somebody else because as long as you're trying to be like somebody else, you'll never be who God created you to be. You're too tied up in somebody else's life and not really living your own. And when the battle starts... And the spark of the enemy's fire rises up in your life out of nowhere. When he sends out those militia forces that know that they have lost the battle, but they're still trying to take you down. And you're wearing somebody else's armor. It may be too loose and you get caught up. Or maybe too tight and you can't move. And now you're in trouble. Now you're in trouble. God, in his infinite wisdom, has given us a great example of what we should do in moments like this. And I would like to paint that picture 
for you because it's a very interesting story. I'm going to touch on it very briefly, as briefly as I can, because there's other things that I have to talk about as well. But God in his infinite wisdom has given us an example of what we need to do in moments like that. And the example that I'm going to use, excuse me, is a character that everybody probably knows, whether you believe in God or, or not, is David. David. How many of you ever heard of the, of the battle David and Goliath, right? How many of you like the ending of David and Goliath? How many of you know what happens in the middle of David and Goliath? Not too many hands went up. See, we love the ending of David and Goliath, but there's something that's in the middle of that section that's so important, that's so interesting, that is critical, that if we skip over it, we will never realize what it is that we need to do when it comes down to our armor. And as we get there and as we build it up to that, let me just paint the picture of what's going on right before this moment, right? King Saul, King Saul at the time, who's the king of Israel, he has engaged in battle with the Philistines, right? He has his whole entire army out on the front lines, and Goliath is on the front lines as well. Now, Goliath, the Bible says, is about nine feet tall. That's taller than Pastor Carlos, right? Nine feet tall. And they say he was a very intimidating person. He talked smack. He talked mad junk. He cursed the armies of Israel. And guess what? Saul and his army was scared. They were terrified at the sheer sight of this guy that nobody wanted to engage in a battle with him. Goliath kept coming out for 40 straight days. Every day he approached the line. He said, who wants to come out here and fight me? Who how many among you, who among you is brave enough? Who among you can take me down? This and that, all this other stuff. And everybody on Israel's side was like this, not me. It's not going to be me. Even the king himself was like, nah, we're not going to fight this guy. Look at him. Look at him. I don't want to lose. I don't want to die. So during, these, so during this 40-day standoff that they had, in another part of Israel, Jesse David's father tells David, David, I need you to pack up some supplies and send them and take them to your brothers who are out on the battlefield right now. So David's like, of course, Dad, I'm going to do exactly what you say. So the next morning, David wakes up, he packs his supply gear, and he goes to the front lines. Now, as he meets his brothers there, right, as he meets his brothers there, he hears Goliath taunting making fun of God, making fun of the king, making fun of Israel. And David was like, yo, who is this guy? Who is this clown? How come nobody has gone to fight this guy? And everybody's like, yo, just like, have you seen him? Like, like you hearing him, but have you seen him? And David's like, this is not right. This guy is defying the very army, the, the, the armies of the living God. Somebody needs to go out there and fight this dude. Time out. I find it so funny. That all David was doing was what his father wanted him to do. And he, and he got caught up in a battle. David didn't wake up that morning looking for a fight. He didn't wake up that morning prepared for a fight. He woke up that morning only wanting to do what his father wanted him to do. And in the middle of doing that, he found himself in a battle. A lot of times, some of us who are following Jesus, a lot of times, a lot of us who are walking the ways that God wants us to walk in, that who are executing God's plans, believe it or not, you may find yourself swooped up in a battle all because you're doing God's will. Sometimes we think that doing God's will doesn't include having battles. That's not true. Jesus never promised that. So we continue. We continue. David said, nobody's going to fight him. Well, guess what? I'm going to fight him. I'm going to fight him. Now, this word gets back to Saul. Saul's like, wait a minute, there's somebody that wants to fight him? There's somebody that wants to fight him? Who's this guy? Bring him to me. I want to see who he is. And David shows up in Saul's presence, and David takes one look at him, and he's like, whoa, you're a kid. You're like a teenager. I mean, yeah, you look like, you know, you're a little handsome. You're, you know, your stature's pretty good. You have good posture, you know, like, kind of like me, right? Somebody laughed. That's messed up. No. <laughs> right? And, but he was like, but you're too young. 
You're too young. This guy's been fighting wars since he's been, since he's been in diapers. I can't send you out. There'll be blood on my hands. But then David tells him straight up, listen, you're getting something confused. I'm not going to win this battle. God's going to win this battle. Want to know why? Because when I was out there tending sheep, I was attacked by bears and lions. And guess what? God gave me the strength to strike them down. And in the same way, I'm going to strike this guy down. Because God is the one that's going to fight for me, not me. God's going to give me the victory. And Saul was like, whoa, you fought a lion and a bear? All right, home slice, go do your thing. May God be with you. But something happens as David is leaving Saul's presence. As he's walking away, Saul notices something. He notices that, wait a minute, David doesn't have any armor on. How is David going to fight this battle if he doesn't have any armor on? So so Saul calls David back, and that's where we pick up our story. In 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 38, it says this. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword, the sword of of the king, over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he was not used to them. What did David do just now? What did he just do? He put on somebody else's armor. And I love the fact that he walked around in it for a little while and realized something. Because I love his response to Saul. Now, mind you, Saul is the king. And this is what he says to Saul. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took them off. Some of us today that are sitting here in these chairs, you're wearing armor that's not yours. And you may have to take it off. Or you should take it off. Continuing on in verse 40, it says this. Then he took his staff, a staff, not a sword. He put down the sword that Saul gave him and he picked up a staff. He put it in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. That's a message for another day. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And the rest, as they say, is history. We all know what happened after that. David fought the Philistine. David fought Goliath in his armor. He fought them as a shepherd. And contrary to what Saul had thought, contrary to what Saul had thought by taking a look at David and saying he doesn't have any armor on, David did have armor on. He had his armor on. It just didn't look like Saul's. It didn't look like his. And even though David at this point in his story was already anointed to be the next king of Israel, he didn't fight Goliath as the next king of Israel or in the armor of one. He fought him as who God had created him to be. He fought him as a shepherd. Can you imagine if he would have went out in the armor of Saul? If he would have, he wasn't used to it. He didn't know how to move in it. He didn't know how to walk around in it. He would have put himself in a very dangerous situation. David probably had never even swung a sword before. But if he would have went out like that, who knows how the story would have ended. And if you go out in someone else's armor, who knows how your story is going to end. Now I want you to think about something really fast. Saul was a king. His armor was nice and shiny. His armor was made of the best metal. His sword was probably the sharpest sword in the land. He probably had stuff embroidered and embossed all over the place. Pinterest would have been very happy with it. It would have been awesome. But David said no. It doesn't matter how somebody else's armor looks. What matters is, are you wearing yours? 
Are you wearing yours? Are you wearing the armor that God has designed for you? Are you wearing the one with your name on it? The armor that fits you like a glove. The armor that's perfect. The armor that allows you to move. The armor that allows you to duck and dodge the flaming arrows of the enemy. The armor that while you're walking around and doing the will of God, and when suddenly things pop up, it doesn't matter because you're sitting there and you're already ready for battle. You may not have the armor of a king. You may have the armor of a shepherd, but guess what? When you step on the battlefield, you're the best shepherd to ever step foot on the battlefield. And the same God that delivered you from the bear and the same God that delivered you from the lion is the exact same one who's going to deliver you from the battle that you're currently in right now. And it happens that way only because you are wearing your armor and not somebody else's. Because when you have the armor that's designed for you, you're walking around in a confidence that you never had before. Because you're walking around in the confidence of who Jesus has called you to be. And you're not concerned with trying to be somebody else. You know who you are. Now, some of you may be thinking this right now, but Eddie, what does my armor look like? I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you. I don't have the answer to that question. That's between you and God. It is. But I can tell you this. As unique and as special And as tailor-made as yours is and mine is, it does have six essential pieces to it. Everybody's armor here has six essential pieces that it needs to have. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul lays out what these six essential pieces are. But instead of just telling you what they are, I'd rather just show you what they are while I'm telling you. In Ephesians 6, verse 13, Paul says this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Somebody say full armor of God. All right. Now, somebody say two-thirds armor of God. Yeah, nobody wants to really say it because you know you're wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that you need to put on the full armor of God. You need to put on the six essential pieces that go along with your armor. If you don't have these six essential pieces, you're missing something very vital to the armor that God has designed for you. He goes on to continue. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you can stand firmly when you have the full armor on. Verse 14, stand firm then, he says. What does it say? Stand firm then in what? In the belt of truth. Oh, snap. I almost fell. Stand firmly then in the belt of truth. For those of you who don't know, my firefighting gear has a belt on it. It's a really cool belt. I enjoy it. I like it. It's pretty cool. I do have different color socks on. That's on purpose. For those of you who are fashionistas right now looking at everything. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, my gear has belt on it. Oliver, I apologize if I ruined the mic. (laughs) And the belt serves two purposes. This belt right here serves two purposes. It holds this entire getup together. The entire getup. I don't really kind of even need the suspenders because it holds everything in place. The suspenders are just for show. It just makes it look nice. But they, they really don't do anything. Right? But this belt holds the entire thing together. If I took off this belt for whatever reason, this whole thing would just collapse and fall down. The other reason that this belt serves, it has a bailout system on the side of it right here. That if I'm ever caught in a bind and I need to jump out of a window, my wife probably doesn't want to hear this right now. But if I ever have to jump out of a window, I can attach this to a windowsill and jump right out. And it provides me a way of escape. In the same way, the belt of truth buckled around your waist holds everything together. It holds everything together. 
When the enemy comes into your life and he tries to say one thing, when the world comes into your life and tries to say one thing about you, the truth of God holds you down. God's truth holds you down. God's truth holds everything together. God's truth gives you a way out. God's truth reminds you of who you are when the world tries to speak opposite of what you are. God's truth says that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are a new creation in him, and that the enemy is defeated, and that Jesus has won the victory, and that you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. The enemy wants to speak things opposite of that, that you're not forgiven, that you're not loved, that he holds more power in the month of October than Jesus does. But if you have the belt of truth strapped around your waist, it holds everything together and it reminds you of God's word. The second piece of the armor. What's the second piece of the armor, everybody? It says this. The second piece is what? The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate served a specific purpose as much as this coat does. When I put this on, and I go into the flames of the fire, there's one specific thing that this does. It protects everything in this area. All the vital organs, liver, lungs, pancreas, and most importantly, my heart from the fire. God's breastplate of righteousness does the exact same thing. It protects your heart. When I first met my wife, there was something that she always used to say to me. Eddie, guard your heart. Eddie, guard your heart. Eddie, guard your heart. We weren't dating yet, and I'm like, why do I have to guard it if I'm trying to get, you know, Eddie, guard your heart. And I soon realized something. Everything we do, all of our actions, everything that we say, all of our emotions stem from our heart. And if we don't protect that, whatever we allow to come in, good or bad, will eventually come out. And the enemy would love to grab a hold of your heart. Because if he has it, Jesus doesn't. So protect your heart. Guard your heart. And the third piece, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. These boots that I have on my feet right now are specially rated to withstand a certain temperature. They're not stylish in any way whatsoever. Sorry, la sorry ladies, they're not. They don't come in high heels, I apologize. But they are meant to withstand a certain temperature. And because I know what they're able to withstand, when I'm actually in the middle of the flames, I can plant my foot firmly, knowing that I'm going to be all right. I can travel deep into the flames knowing that I'm going to be okay because my feet are protected. My feet are ready to go. Nothing will harm them. And when our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, you have peace in the middle of the battle. You are able to plant your foot firmly down and keep going forward because you know that you are protected. The fourth piece, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Now, I wasn't able to take it from my firehouse. They didn't, they didn't let me. I really wanted to. They were able to give me the axe, but they couldn't give me the fire hose. <laughs> I'm like, hey, they, they caught me in the morning. I was trying to take it off the back of the fire truck. And they're like, Eddie, what are you trying to do? I'm like, I need this. And they're like, well, we need it. I'm like, but I need it more. And they're like, well, we need to put out fire. And I'm like, I have a fire that I have to put out in God's house today. Can I have it? No. I really wanted to steal it, but they didn't let me. But can I be honest with you really quick about something? How many of you have ever seen the movie Backdraft or Ladder 49? Or how many of you have ever seen, like, fire in movie, right? It's really cool, right? You can see all the fire. Firefighters go in there. It's great. It's awesome. You see all oh, the flames are right there. And they can just, it's not like that in real life. It's not. When you walk into a burning building, smoke is banked down all the way to the ground. You can't see nothing. It's black. It's dark. It's hot. 
These guys walk in there in the movies like, oh, yeah, it's so great. Yeah. No, it's not like that at all. There's so much fear that comes into you because guess what? You walk in not knowing if you're going to come out sometimes. The only thing that's possible is that when you walk in with that hose, you're trusting and hoping in two things. One, that it works, and two, that you find the fire fast enough so you can put it out. And sometimes your only hint to the fire is a small little orange glow in a corner somewhere. And that glow doesn't tell you how big or how small that fire is. It just tells you, hey, it might, it might be over there. So you grab that hose, you open it up, and you start praying. If I didn't have the hose with me, the flames would overtake me. If I didn't have the hose line with me, I wouldn't be able to put the fire out. Without your shield of faith in place, without your shield of faith in place, you will not be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. You have to have your faith. You have to have it. When the enemy says, listen, this is what the situation is right now, you say, no, but God will tell me it's going to be like this later. When he tries to break you down in your finances, you say, no, I know God is going to provide. You may not see it. It may not be relevant to you. It may be the farthest thing from reality that it's going to happen, but your faith comes in action and says, no, I believe in the God who provides for me. I believe in the God who can heal me. I believe in the God who loves me. I believe in the God who forgives me. I believe in the God who restores me. Because when you believe in that, you are activating your faith, and the flaming arrows of the enemy cannot touch you. In the same way, when I open up the hose line, the fire cannot touch me. Now, you may feel a little heat, but guess what? A little heat is better than getting burned. And as the flaming arrows fall next to you, guess what? You may feel a little bit of heat, but you're not getting burned. The fifth piece, the helmet of salvation. Every firefighter, no matter what, no matter what call we go on, no matter how it looks like, we have to have our helmet on. We have to have it. doesn't matter the call. We had a call one time where it was a small little garbage fire that was next to this house that was being constructed, well, under construction, right? And when we went there, we saw it, and we just grabbed, you know, a small little fire extinguisher, and, we, and it went out. And as we were walking away, the wind blew, and a piece of plywood fell out from the building that was in construction, and it hit one of our firefighters in the head. Thank God he had his helmet on. See, you don't have to be in a huge, rip-roaring fire just to have your helmet on. You could be walking down the street on a regular day, on a Tuesday, and have something try to get into your mind. And have something to try to get into your head. You can have the whispers of the enemy. I'm going to take it off for a second, sorry. You can have the whispers of the enemy trying to tell you things that are not true. To try to convince you that God is not real. He tries to whisper certain things into your ear that says, listen, the Bible is not reliable. The Bible is false. He says certain things to you that he tries to get you to believe things that are contrary to what God wants you to believe. That Jesus didn't die for you. That your sins are not forgiven. But we are supposed to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. And as long as we have our helmets on, and we will have his word and his truth constantly on our thoughts, and we won't have time to be thinking about the negative things that the enemy is trying to tell us. We're not thinking about what he's saying. We're thinking about what Jesus is saying. And finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Fire, this axe, or should I say the axe, has been around as long as firefighting itself. Now, 
its function has changed recently because before, back in the day, before we had chainsaws, we would use this to chop up the wood and chop up the floors and chop holes in roofs. But we don't do that anymore because we have chainsaws for that now. But the axe is still used. It's used more as a striking tool and a forcible entry tool than anything else. We use it to force open doors to get in, and we use it to force open doors to get people out. And I remember the first day on the job, we had to break open somebody's door, and I thought this was probably one of the most exciting times of my life because now I'm able to break into somebody's house and not get arrested for it. I'm Hispanic. I was young once. Pretty sure you were too. <laughs> and my captain gives me the, Eddie, break the door down. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. So I grab it, and I go like this. Boom, and I'm thinking this door is going to fly open, and it's going to shoot open, and all this debris is going to fall everywhere, and I'm walking there like, yeah, that's what I did. But I grabbed the axe, and I was like, boom, and the axe flew right back out of my hands, and it went somewhere else. And I was like, what, what, what just happened? How come the axe didn't break it down? And my captain looked at me. He's like, Eddie, there's a certain technique you have to use in order to make this effective. You have to train with this in order to be able to use it to its maximum potential. And I was like, okay, so what do I got to do? You got to study it. You got to learn about it. You got to practice it, put it to use in your everyday. And then you'll be able to break down doors. The next door that I, that I found, believe me, that thing exploded. And I got in. God's word, his truth, his word, the sword of the spirit needs to be used in the same exact way. It needs to be studied. It needs to be used. It needs to be applied. It needs to be practiced. Because if it's not, you'll have the potential to misuse it. You have the potential to not use it correctly. And right when you think you're about to walk through a door, you'll be stopped because... That's not the way you're supposed to use it. We have to make sure that we know how to use God's word. It's meant to build up. It's meant to encourage. It's meant to show, uh, show truth. And above all else, it's meant to show love. The discipline that the word shows, it shows it in love. The correction that the word shows, it shows it in love. And if the word is not used in love, if it's not used in that way, there's a high possibility you may be using it wrong. If you're using it to tear somebody down, if you're using it to not encourage somebody, you're probably using it wrong. These are the six pieces that are essential to everybody's armor. Now, I know your armor is different than mine. I know your armor is more unique than mine. But you need these six pieces. David knew that he needed to be wearing his. The question is, are you wearing yours? The enemy, in many ways, he is like a fire. Fire has this unquenchable nature to it, this unsatisfactory nature for it. Oliver, if you can play the song. It goes into a house and it burns it up. Then out of nowhere, after it's done with that house, if nobody stops it, it moves on to the next house. And if nobody stops it, it moves on to the next house. And if nobody stops it, it moves on to the next house. Until somebody who is wearing their gear, their armor, steps in the way and says, no, not this house. And the devil is the same way. He doesn't just stop at one someone. He takes one down and devours it. And then he goes to the next one and devours it. And then he goes to the next one and devours him. And then he goes to the next one and he devours it. And he keeps doing it until somebody who is wearing their armor, who was in the battle, stands there and stops and says, listen, the same one who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is the same one who's going to deliver me from this battle. 
When you are wearing your armor, when you are wearing what God wants you to have on, it becomes impossible for the enemy to try to overtake you. Because somebody who is wearing God's armor believes and realizes that Jesus has already won the victory. They believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. They believe that they have what Jesus says they have. They believe that they are who Jesus says they are. They believe that God will deliver them, that God will give them the victory because he has. No fire can burn you when you're wearing your armor. No mountain can stop you when you're wearing your armor. No battle can turn you or defeat you when you are wearing your armor because you are being blessed and you are being who you who God had created you to be. If we could just bow our heads in prayer for a second. Lord, we thank you right now, Lord. But I know for a fact, my God, that there are some people who are sitting here right now, Lord, that you have spoken to them, that you have spoken to their hearts, my God, and you have told them through this message, my Lord, that they are have somebody else's armor on. And you want them to take that armor off. And you want them to walk in your victory. You want them to walk in the armor that you have designed uniquely for them, my Lord. So I pray that this message has spoken to you. And if that is you, don't worry about who's to the left or to the right of you. It's just a symbolic gesture. All I want you to do is just stand. Stand right where you are. If you're tired of wearing somebody else's armor and you want to wear your own. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We have some in the balcony, some over here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. At this very moment, I know for a fact that God is taking off that armor and he is putting on your armor. So Jesus, right now we thank you for those of them who stood, my Lord. We pray victory over them, my Lord. We pray power over them, my God. Not their power, but your power, my God. We pray that as they are declaring war, my God, as things come into their lives, my Lord, unexpectedly, my Lord, that they would stand ready, my God, knowing full well who you are, who you have made them to be, my God, and the victory that has been given to them, my Lord, through you. And we thank you, my God. We thank you. In the beginning of this message, I said you needed three things. I said you needed a plan. I said you needed a weapon. And I said you needed some armor. The weapon is his word. The plan is his plan. And the armor is his armor. The one that has your name on it. Have a great week in God and wear your armor. Thank you. Have a great day.